Amen. Thank you, you guys. That was wonderful. Um, just, uh, I want to start out by saying that, uh, we put together a survey. Some of you that have been on our, our, on our mailing list, the church mailing list or the MailChimp mailing list. I sent out an email this week saying, have you taken the survey in the subject line? And so many of you have responded to me like, yes, I took it. You don't need to, that was a redundant question. It was just a reminder to people that haven't. <laughs> so if you haven't taken the survey, please take it. If you have taken it, you don't need to email me. I can see the results. So um, anyway, uh, other announcements before we get started. And I'm really glad you're all here with us. And uh, hope if you're new, you could contact me, jason at 68.org, uh, and we could get to know each other a little bit. I would love to hear your story about your life and what's going on with you and and how you're faring through this whole thing. Uh, but yes, we, we put together a survey. We sent it out. We'd love for you to take it. We're trying to figure out uh, coming back to regathering. How does that work? You know, when does that work? And, you know, what are people comfortable with? What do people expect and things like that? So please take the survey if you can. That, that link is in that email I sent. Uh, giving, just really quickly, um, as I've been saying for a few weeks now, Simple Give, we are phasing that out eventually. If you give a recurring gift on that, please move it over to Breeze. All the directions are on the giving page on our website. There's also a new option there for text to give if you'd like to use that. We also have Vineyard at 68vineyard, you know, uh, however that address goes. And then uh, you can also send a physical check to the church at 1116 Lancaster Avenue in Bryn Mawr, uh, 19010. And I'll get that, and we'll get it deposited. Uh, reminder, moms and dads, the third banner at the top of the site, that's your place to click for uh, all your stuff for kids for Sunday mornings. Um, that's updated every Wednesday, so you have from Wednesday to Sunday to get that ready for your kids. Um, again, VBS, we are going virtual this year for obvious reasons. Uh, Kim has said that she's going to send that information out in early July, so look forward to that. And finally, I, I want to say this again. I can't emphasize this enough. If you need some spiritual direction in your life, you just need some fresh ideas, you need a, a sounding board to, for someone to help you understand how the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and leading you in these days, uh, or you need new tools for your spiritual growth, uh, then email spiritualmentors at 68.org. And uh, they will get you hooked up. We've got 10 people that have trained for quite a while and, and a lot of stuff to be ready to serve our church in this way. So uh, that could be a one-time meeting. It could be a number of meetings, whatever it would be. But it's very valuable, and I really would like to see these guys utilize like crazy. Some of you have done it already, and great stories are coming out of that. Um, finally, uh, sorry, emotional issue, I know. Uh, watching the video of George Floyd this week that has ignited just riots and looting and everything across our country. It's just watching that video was hard. It really was hard. Uh, I don't understand. And I know, uh, I know many of you don't understand it. I, I know we, we don't get it. We don't get how somebody can lean on a person's neck. I mean, I'm a 200-pound man, and if I leaned on your neck for eight and a half minutes, I guarantee you that I know that you would you would die. And I just don't get that. Um, sorry to be so graphic, but I just uh, don't get it. And I know that police officers are not trained to do that. 
I know that that's not uh, something that they, any police officer I know would say that they would do. Um, it, it is, it's not just bothersome. It's horrific. It's horrific to watch. Um, you know, and all the, the destruction and the, the rioting going on, you know, especially during this time of, uh, the coronavirus issues and, uh, when we are so economically, you know, challenged at this point with everything going on, I, it's just sad to watch. So, uh, let's pray for our country and let's pray for, uh, justice to be done swiftly. You know, we, we do want our government to act quickly in, um, seeing that this justice is done well and quickly. We don't want that avoided. Um, we do want to see change in these areas and, and we ask for that. But, you know, we also want to see, uh, that Christians at least respond with, uh, grace and mercy and forgiveness and peace and compassion and calmness. Uh, I would urge you to just take your heart before the Lord and lay down your anger, lay down your, your vitriol and respond in the way that God would want you to respond. These are things that God, uh, understands much greater, greater than us. I don't purport to, to understand and be able to be a judge on anybody's heart in these matters, but I had to say something this morning. And, you know, it's, it's nerve wracking for us pastors to say these things because we don't know how they're going to be taken. Um, so often you speak these days and, and people take your words out of context. So I just, just understand my heart is obviously for uh, justice to be done, but also for compassion and forgiveness and mercy and, and for people to come together. You know, God loves all people. Uh, he calls us to all nations. He, he created all people, you know, whether they are rich, poor, um, you know, the color of their skin, their, their social or whatever uh, economic uh, status, it doesn't matter, or, or even what they've done in the past, it doesn't matter. We are called to love all people. That is God's heart. That's God's value. And I just pray that um, you guys would see that same thing. Sorry, my phone is beeping. Um, uh, anyway, so uh, enough said. Sorry if I went on a little bit for that. But uh, I just wanted to say something this morning. Uh, let me pray before we get into the sermon. Father God, we thank you for this, your presence this morning. And we do pray for uh, cool water to be poured on the heat and the emotion in our country right now. We pray for uh, level heads to reign, for emotion to come into check. But we also pray that you would not uh, let us uh, bypass what those emotions are speaking to. And that we would address these issues in our own hearts before people and uh, that we would be changed and that our country would be changed and that every little corner of society would be changed uh, to show love and compassion and equality and love and care to all peoples. And we, we pray for swift justice there. We pray for um, just just uh, forgiveness where it needs to be had, compassion where it needs to be had, for people to be freed from this, uh, including ourselves. And we ask that you would speak to us this morning through the book of John. And uh, again, as you have been already in this book, it's been a wonderful journey. So we ask for more of you this morning. Holy Spirit, come and interpret and roll out the scriptures for us. Let us see what you have to say to us this morning. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
So if you have not been with us, as I just said, we've been in the book of John and we're excited about it. I, these are, it's called portraits of Jesus, just these little vignettes of who Jesus is to us, who Jesus is to the world and things like that. So if you have a Bible and you want to follow along, uh, please just, uh, open up to, uh, the book of John. Um, and we will, we will, uh, be in, uh, John 17 today. Um, and, and, uh, I want to tell you a little story before we get started. Uh, built in the 1800s, late 1800s, the, the Brooklyn Bridge took more than a decade to construct and cost, uh, the life of its designer, John, John Roebling, I think his name was, and he died of lockjaw, which is apparently a result of, uh, oh, the name is escaping me, um, uh, tetanus. Uh, and, and I guess your, your jaw locks shut, and I guess you can't eat. So it sounds like a horrible way to die, but he died, from that, from an accident on the site. And then his son Washington ran the project after that. You know, New York and Brooklyn were at the time two separate cities and uh, with obvious advantages of linking the two. The, and the idea was thought to be absolutely impossible because of the width of the waterway, because of its turbulence, because of the tidal conditions, and that it was one of the busiest waterways on the earth. But a suspension bridge at the time was the only answer, the only solution, and it was uh, the largest bridge built uh, at the time. And many people died during its construction, and more than 125 years after its completion, that bridge is still a vital route, bridging two cities, making them one. And, you know, today we are coming to the end of Jesus' ministry. Uh, we're almost there in, in the book of John giving us a unique opportunity to view Jesus' purpose for, for coming into the world, right? And this series is titled Portraits of Jesus, as I said. And today, John paints the portrait of Jesus as priest, as priest. But what is a priest or a pastor, right? You know, Catholics call us priests. Uh, you Protestants out there call us uh, pastors. And, and the best definition I've heard is that they are bridge builders to God. Bridge builders to God. Isn't that a good definition, right? Keep that in mind as we explore Jesus as priest or bridge builder to God this morning. You know, and you think about it, Jesus also died building that relational bridge between humanity and God the Father, making us one with the Father, one with the Son, one with the Spirit, and as a result, one with each other. And this scene in the Garden of Gethsemane is one of his final acts of priesthood for us. You know, and notice uh, when, we, when we hear these words that on the night of his betrayal and his arrest, what did he choose to do? He chose to, to take time to pray for you and for me. Isn't that amazing? Think about that. He took the time to pray for you and me. His prayer is seen to have uh, in this passage an upward focus, an inward focus, and an outward focus as well. So firstly, you know, his prayer has an upward focus uh, towards the Father's glory. Starting in verse 1 of John 17, if you want to follow along with me or you can just listen, it says this, After Jesus had spoken these words, he looked up to heaven and said, 
Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given me, given him authority over all people to give eternal life to all who you, whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God. Now listen to that phrase, the only true God. That is a very important phrase, and it's one where we're really going to pound on today, right? The only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent, I glorified you on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do, right? Now, if you go all the way back to Christmas, we see Jesus coming into the world, you know, in, in this form of a baby, and, and, and here we see why at the end of his ministry, right? His ministry begun in the manger revolved around the single purpose of glorifying the Father by bridging the gap between God and his people. We see this in John 14.9, Colossians 1.15. We see it in Hebrews 1.3 and many other places as well. But he, Jesus was, and we've said this in the past, the perfect expression of the Father, right? And so when you see Jesus, when you look at Jesus, you see God the Father. Going back to John 1.18, where it says, No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Right? So, He's just, remember, finished saying, you know, I think it was a couple chapters back, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, right? No one comes to the Father except across this bridge of Jesus, right? He's the one that bridges the gap. John 14, 6 talks about this. 1 Timothy 2, 5 talks about that. Uh, you know, Acts 14, or 4, 12 talks about this. It's it's to the Father's glory that Jesus has accomplished his purposes by bridging the gap between God and man. That was his greatest purpose, right? His prayer is also an upward focus, reminding us of the Father's gift. In verse 6, he says, I have made your name known to those whom you gave me from the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word, right? So at Christmas, you know, we celebrate God coming into the world in the form of a child, putting himself in the middle of our world, experiencing all that we have to experience, the hunger, the tiredness, everything else, which says to us that God pursues us, that he loves us enough to pursue us. Remember that. We didn't pursue him, and Romans tells us that no one seeks God, right? That, that everybody has fallen short of the glory of God, and no one seeks him, right? We, we remember those, those verses. But you also remember that Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that we were spiritually dead in our sin, but we were made alive in Christ. It was such a great passage, right? And, and, and you remember, dead people don't respond to things. We know that, right? But in his coming... And building this bridge, Jesus glorifies the Father by breathing spiritual life back into our lives, right? Accomplished as God the Spirit quickens, quickens our spirit, applying the finished work of Christ to us. John 16, 8 through 11, if you remember that. We are joyless, joyously awakened and convicted of our need of reconciliation with God. John chapter 6, 44 and John chapter 6, uh, verse 65. We are the Father's gift to the Son, and what the Father gives, the Son never refuses. John chapter 6, verse 37. Such great passages, right? 
you know, I was speaking with somebody recently who was struggling with the person of Jesus. Who is Jesus? What is Jesus, right? And they asked all the the typical questions that people ask in those scenarios. You know, how was the Bible put together? Sorry, I'm having a little trouble with my microphone. Uh, how was the Bible put together? Isn't it a made-up story? Isn't uh, God found in all religions, right, et cetera, and so on and so forth? All the typical questions. And I gave my technical answers, you know, my pastoral answers. But at the end of the conversation, I said this. I said, you know, you feel this is all a sham, or, or, you're, or you're at least questioning it. But I can't get past the day that my heart was absolutely just set on fire. It was warmed, and the lights went on for me when I met Jesus. It was as if I was dead and I had, you know, been made alive. And that's exactly what happened, right? I said to him, Jesus was so unique and so different than anything or anyone I had ever experienced, and he still is, and he has changed my life and is still doing so to this day. I'm a better person uh, because of Christ in my life, believe it or not. <laughs> now, that is certainly not proof enough for any skeptic, and I'm not saying it is. I'm not saying it's scientific proof. I, I never made that claim. It's a work of the Spirit, and it's my witness. Something happened to me, and I know it happened. You know, this prayer is also an upward focus, reminding us of the Father's grace. Verse 7, it says, Now they know that everything you have given me is from you, for the words that you gave to me, I have given to them, and they have received them, and know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. You know, someone once said that, they said, by grace, become who you are by grace. That is Ephesians 2, right? That we're saved by grace, and uh, and we're, we're, we're put into this process of change. So by grace... You know, you're saved by grace, become who you are by grace. So grace also enables us to be changed and developed and transformed into the, the character and the likeness of Christ. So we are what we are by the grace of God. First Corinthians 15.10 talks about that. And for me, it is very comforting to hear this prayer made by God the Son on my behalf and on your behalf too, outlining his love in pursuit to gather us back into relationship with himself. This is his prayer, right? Now, the Christian should be self-aware, right? We should know as believers, we should be the most mature at looking at ourselves. We should know how deeply broken and hurtful and prideful we can be or we are at the core of our being because we understand our sin. We don't deny our sin. We should be the one who know, uh, be the one who, ones who know very clearly of our need for salvation, our need to be reconciled with the Father. Not in a self-loathing way, like I'm a worm and I'm not worthy of anything or whatever, but in joyous conviction of need. Right? So to know our position in Christ, sealed by his grace, comforts us. We're not destroyed by our failures, but we grow through it. Grace affords us the ability to hold our head high, but with humility. Always knowing our need, right? 
So we are secured in grace. We are justified, a legal term, which means the judge let us off and took the place, took the punishment uh, of death on our uh, on our behalf. And we are re- we rely on great grace to become like him every single day that we live. We are sanctified. We are transformed. We are changed into the likeness and the character of, of Christ over time. You know, his prayer is also an inward focus as he prays for assistance. He asks in verse 1, he says, glorify your son that the son may glorify you. And then in verse 5, he says, so now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had in your presence before the world existed. So this is Jesus' time of suffering right? The cross is right before him. He's, you know, working together in community with the Father and with the Spirit. Jesus asks for his assistance in finishing his purpose at this moment. As soon to be betrayed, soon to be arrested, soon to be tried, soon to be crucified, right? He asks the Father to aid him in these last hours to accomplish the task for what he came. And, and, and that's pretty interesting. You know, we started out saying that John Roebling died for his dream to build the Brooklyn Bridge. And over the 14 years of building that bridge, I think it took 14 years, many other people died as well to see that dream realized. And we know that Jesus died building this bridge to the Father, and he prayed for assistance in carrying out that task. And over the history of the church, many other people have died giving their lives for the sake of Christ, for the sake of the kingdom of God and the lives of others, right? We, too, sacrifice ourselves for the kingdom, maybe not in physical death, but when we die to ourselves or die to our desires so that others may know Jesus, we, in doing that, we continue the work of Jesus, the work of the kingdom in the world, and that's exciting. You know, the Confessing Church was uh, organized in Nazi Germany to fight against government interference in church affairs, and they were in a po- opposition to the Nazi party and its policies and all that. They, they fought injustice, and they held secret meetings where they'd pass the hat to donate identity cards and, and pass books, which were later modified by forgers so that uh, they could give them to underground Jews so they could pass, be passed off as legal German citizens. And several of the members of that confessing church were caught, they were tried, they were jailed, or they were killed for their part. And leaders were sent to common concentration camps where, the, where many of them died. You know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was hanged in such a camp, right? So here's the question. Would I be willing to take that risk? Would I be willing to give my life so that others would have freedom in such a way? Am am I at least willing to die to myself in small ways for the sake of others to find freedom in Jesus? You know, Jesus himself relied on the Father for assistance in living out his purpose, and many in the church have had to to do that over history, as we should, as, as all of us should be ready to do, right? You know, this prayer is also an inward focus, as he prays about, or he prayed about his accomplishment. Verse 4, it says, I glorified you on the earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do, right? Now, I imagine the Roebling family was consumed with building the Brooklyn Bridge. 
Jesus was consumed also with the kingdom of God. It was his prime. I mean, that was the point on his arrow, right? Set on, set himself on building this bridge to the Father. He was determined to finish it. Determined to finish it. Nothing stopped him, right? Even when it was so weighty that he sweat blood in the Garden of Gethsemane, he still went to the cross for us. Now, do you have que- uh, uh, problems finishing things? Do you have a hard time following through and finishing certain things? Well, let me ask you a question. Maybe much of it's not worth finishing. You ever think about that? Maybe all the things that you put your mind to really aren't worth finishing. They don't really have a greater purpose to them. There have been few things in my life which I have been absolutely determined to finish. Right? My cafe, when I was in my 20s, I started an art gallery and cafe. Uh, the work that I started in Lampung, I was, I was determined to finish what needed to be done before I came home. I started three English schools in, our, in, in Lampung that really needed to be up and running before I left. I, I started these little, uh, little, uh, uh, library things in the communities out, out in villages that needed to be started before I left to come home. The, this church, when I came back to America, I, you know, I started this church. I, I really wanted this to, to get going. And every single one of those things share a very important purpose. They were all, every single one of them, were all bridge builders to God. They were avenues. They were tools that I used to share the gospel, right? Every one of them, my cafe to the work we did in Lampung to the work we're doing here together in this church. So maybe if we've had a hard time finishing things, we don't see the greater purpose in finishing them. <laughs> right? Maybe we've compartmentalized the gospel out of our daily lives. Everything is spiritual. We say that all the time at 6-8. And whatever we put our minds to is to be used for the sake of the kingdom. God's kingdom is number one, numero uno, in, in the church of God. And ultimately, our purpose, far beyond being lawyers, carpenters, or teachers, those are all tools for the kingdom of God. That it is to our purpose is to represent Christ in all ways. As you know, and so we're here to continue His work. I'm a little fired up this morning. <laughs> so it's an inward focus. Too, since he prayed about assurance, verse five it says, "So now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had in your presence before the world existed." You know, Jesus at this moment was going home to the Father, right? He was, he was, he was, uh, he was going home, going home, right? And he knew it, but he was fully assured. There was no doubt in his mind. He was fully assured of his position with the Father. And as harsh as the experience of the cross was for Jesus, or Dietrich Bonhoeffer, or Peter, or Timothy, who you remember was stoned to death, or yourself and the things that you give up and you deny for the sake of Christ, or anyone who would give up their life, either physical or, or in other ways, you know, we are all assured of where we are headed. We are all assured of that. The cross, as heavy as it may be, is filled with future hope because we are assured of our future glory with the Father. 
That's exciting. You know, his prayer had an outward focus as well. Verses 9, 9 through 18, a little lengthy, but let's read it. It says, I am asking on their behalf. I am not asking on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you gave me, because they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. So you glorified Jesus, right? That's pretty cool. And now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them in your name that you have given me. I guarded them. Verse 13, but now I am coming to you and I am speaking these things in the world so that they may have my joy, uh, have my joy made complete in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. They do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. Sanctify them, change them, transform them, right? In the truth, your word is truth. You see how important the word of God is in our lives, right? As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world, right? So he now turns his attention outward, praying for their preservation, right? He fully understood the weight uh, the disciples would feel and face as he leaves, right, as he goes to the cross. He's, he'd promised the Holy Spirit as, as a result. First Peter 1, 3 through 6, paints a great picture of this preservation. In verse 3, it says, In his great mercy, Jesus, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, never spoil, never fade. Amen to that, right? This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of of salvation, and that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. So remember, grace, by grace, become who you are by grace. By grace, become who you are by grace. You know, God pursues and sustains us in relationship which will never perish, spoil, or fade. These are promises to you. And I think we should hold on to them hard, you know. Uh, it's an outward focus, lastly, uh, as he prays for their protection, right? He, we live in this world set against the kingdom rule of God, right? First Peter 5, 8 through 10 gives us a glimpse of our situation. It says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. devour. <laughs> Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Because you know that the family the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. So you are not alone in the pressure of the suffering you feel, right? Verse 10, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered for a little while, this, this life is like a sliver of time, right? 
will himself restore you and make you strong and firm and steadfast. You know, uh, I don't know if you know, but Kevlar is a woven fabric that when layered upon itself 30 times can stop a bullet by absorbing the impact and spreading out the energy. It doesn't feel too great still (laughs) to be shot by a bullet wearing Kevlar, but it still will stop it from penetrating you. You know, you, if you are in Christ, you are a child of God. You are a child of the King. Your life is hidden in Him. Colossians 3.3 says that, right? And although you and I may face suffering, we may be shot with those bullets, right? We have future hope. We are strengthened, protected, preserved in Christ. He, He becomes our shield, our Kevlar, against what otherwise would destroy us. It may hurt us. It might wound our hearts at at some level, bruise us, but it will not destroy us. It will not kill us. We are hard pressed, but we are never crushed. You have hope in Christ. And you might need to hear that right now during all this stuff, the coronavirus garbage and all this stuff that's happening with racism and the riots and, you know, seeing all this stuff in our country. You know, it's an outward focus, this prayer, as he prays for their purity as well. His prayer is that they might live their lives against the backdrop of the word, a life holy and pleasing to the Father. You know, C.S. Lewis once said, and this is a very famous quote, but it's just a good quote. He said, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what's meant by an offering of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Isn't that true? You and I agree. We are constantly growing in our understanding of what we have in Christ. It's an, it, you know, and, the, and finally, this, this outwardly focused, uh, this, this prayer is outwardly focused as he prays for our harmony and our unity, two very important words these days in the church that, you know, maybe sometime we're not reaching because people have given up on the word, right? He's modeled this harmony in his, in his relationship with God the Father and God the Spirit, and he calls us to the same, right? He calls us to the same. There is no strife or confusion with the Trinity. They're not at odds with one another and and. And when we, when we are, we know that God is calling us to learn to live, a, to live and to love at a deeper level. You know, churches are very messy places, right? They are very messy places. Think about it. Where else do you address the darkness of your soul in community other than in church? You don't, and it's hard work. Jesus knew that. It's the reason he prays for unity where his witness, uh, You know, and we are his witness striving for harmony and unity in order to be a good witness of him. So would you buy a car if you moved the car and it had a huge oil leak underneath it? No, I don't think you would, right? And it's the same for the church, not to play church politics or to save face in front of the world and all that, covering up our sin and hiding our sin. That does nothing but sweep issues under the rug, doesn't it? 
We don't want to give up. You know, like if we see sexual immorality in our church that, that hurts people and demeans people and, 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 and tears families apart or hurts children especially, we don't want to sweep that under the rug. We want to deal with those things. If we see racism in us, you know, in how we respond to people and all that stuff, we as the church want to be responsible in addressing that and we want, because it's demeaning and it's hurtful and God loves all people. And why would in the world we could we ever foster those feelings about anybody? We're not ignorant. We know that we've grown up conditioned in certain ways. Different people are conditioned in different ways. And we are constantly trying to address those things and dig out that stuff and be transformed by Christ away from it and into the, the, the heart which, which, uh, which expresses the values of Christ in this world. That's, you know, some people, some people uh, argue with me that I think Jesus can answer all these questions. That is exactly what I'm saying. That what, what America and this world needs is the gospel of Christ because it creates people, the changed hearts, the heart that reflect the values and love of God that, that don't lean on somebody's neck for eight minutes. And it would bring justice to a situation like that. Or, or don't just hurt people for any, any numbers of reasons. I'm not saying that we're perfect. But we do need to be confessional, and we do need to be more moving towards the values and the love of Christ. Sorry, I'm getting a little animated. <laughs> we don't want to sweep things under the rug. Church is a hard place. It's the most honest place I've ever been. So that criticism of, of the church being a negative place, that give it up. That's, that's wrong criticism. I'm sorry. I, I, it, it only comes from people that have never invested themselves at a deep level to let the gospel transform them and be in church and to see, see their lives. And they've never stayed at the table. They give up and run. You are mature believers. Stay at the table. Let's work hard. Let's address our hearts. Let's address our issues. Man, I am wound up. It's been a long week for all of us, I think. You know, eventually someone picks up the rug and exposes that dirt. We want to fix the leaks in our ship, right? Jesus calls us to a continual ongoing journey of love, forgiveness, integrity, and a deepening of maturity which knows when to let things go. A maturity which is increasingly able to address issues with humility and love towards the goal of reconciliation always. We're not to play act but we are to live the gospel, uniting each other in Christ and bringing freedom to the rest of the world. You know, as Jesus brought his prayer to a close, he took a minute to pray that we would be filled with his love, a love which only a child of God can know and experience through the ministry of the, of the Spirit, a love which empowers and enables us to live the gospel out in the community around us and in community with each other. Therefore, as we consider the, the beginning at Christmas, right, let's remember the end, the purpose and the work of Jesus as priest and as bridge builder to, to God the Father. Just, be, just before his crucifixion, he prayed upward, glorifying the Father, reminding of his, us of his grace. He prayed inward for assistance and accomplishment and assurance, and he prayed outward for protection, preservation, purity, and harmony. And this time of social distancing can be a very lonely and trying time for people. 
especially when it's exacerbated with all of this other stuff going on out there in the world. But I just want you to be encouraged. Jesus knew you before time began. (laughs) And he prayed for you that very last night in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's pretty cool. Be encouraged. He finished his bridge. He finished his work of reconnecting us to the Father. And he left us then with all we need to continue on his work. We are subjects of the kingdom. We are followers of the king. We are friends with Jesus. We are children of God. We are all about what he is in the world, about his message. And that needs to come out of us. And it needs to be our first and primary thing in life. Everything else falls underneath that as Christians. Think about that. Chew on that for the week. (laughs) Uh, We're going to stay live a little bit longer so you can chat if you'd like to. Woo, I am wound up. Praise God. I love you guys. Uh, and uh, pray for our country. And I will close this out right now with a quick prayer. Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you for the ability to forgive even in the worst of circumstances. We thank you that you took on all of this on the cross, that all of the world's sin that you paid for on there. And we pray that people would accept that. We pray for uh, just love and compassion and justice and peace would reign right now. Above all else, do for us in our country right now what we cannot do for ourselves. We don't seem to be able to do these things for ourselves. We need divine intervention. We need your spirit to move. We need your word to convict. We need your love to reign. And we need your authority your loving, benevolent, good authority to reign over our country. So we ask for a people movement. We ask for a a change. We ask for a sweeping of the gospel across this country because we do know as Christians that only the gospel will resolve these issues in the hearts of people. Thank you, Father God. Thank you. Thank you for what you're doing, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hope to see you guys soon and be together again physically. Remember to take your survey if you can. And uh, I'll see you next week if I don't see you before. Amen.